0: Welcome back to the One God Report podcast. Bill Schlegel here. Today is the third part of a three-part episode where we have seen that finding the deity of Christ in the Old Testament is not a New Testament exercise. In the first episode, we saw that when Jesus went back into the Old Testament, it was not to show his deity, but rather that he was to suffer and die, be raised from the dead, before being exalted to glory. And then we examined the apostles Peter and Paul and how they appealed to the Old Testament. And we saw that they as well did not appeal to the Old Testament to prove the deity of Christ, rather the death and resurrection of the Christ. In this third episode, I wanted to take a look at two Old Testament passages that have typically been appealed to somehow thinking that these passages show the deity of Christ. We'll look at Genesis 18 and 19 and Isaiah 9:6. But before we do that if we broaden our scope for just a moment beyond Jesus and the Apostles application of Old Testament passages recorded in the last chapter of Luke and in the book of Acts, there are a few New Testament verses that have been put forth as evidence that the authors of the New Testament appeal to the Old Testament to show the deity of Christ. And these verses are 1 Corinthians 10, 4 and 9, Jude 5, Hebrews 1, 8, and then kind of a new fad, Yahweh texts. I'll explain what those are a little bit more in just a second on podcast 54 with Troy Salinger, we looked at 1 Corinthians ten four and 9 and Jude 5. And we see that in each case, there are textual variants or the text can be interpreted differently. Or Paul is simply talking about types from the Old Testament and saying Jesus is like that situation in the Old Testament. But we also have to just note, that's it. A couple of verses in 1 Corinthians 10, one verse in Hebrews... One verse in Jude and a handful of these other verses where a New Testament author quotes an Old Testament Yahweh text and applies it to Jesus or his ministry. A Yahweh text is a text where the personal name of God, Yudhe Vavhe, appears in the Old Testament. And then a New Testament author quotes that passage and applies it to Jesus or his ministry. But that's it. Just a few of these here and there sprinkled in the New Testament. If Paul wanted to say that the Old Testament scriptures declare the deity of Christ, should we expect him to be so restrained and only drop a hint when he's speaking about entirely different subjects? Would the author of Hebrews give us one verse claiming Jesus is literally Almighty God and then drop the topic Spending the rest of his book describing how the man Jesus has been made greater than angels and is greater than Moses, Aaron, and Joshua. It doesn't make sense. Now, as to the so-called Yahweh texts, instead of just hinting that Jesus is literally Yahweh in flesh, while some other topic is under discussion, are there more reasonable reasons why a New Testament author may apply an Old Testament passage about Yahweh to the life of Jesus? The Hebraic understanding of agency easily explains such passages. The Messiah was understood to come as Yahweh's representative in the name of Yodhavave, in the name of Yahweh see psalm 118:26 blessed is he who comes in the name of yahweh that's quoted in the new testament of jesus jesus said his works were not his own but that he did works in my father's name john 10:25 compare acts 2:22 that is jesus did miracles according to the will authority and power given to him by god whom Jesus calls the Father. I mentioned in the previous podcast that to assert that Paul wanted to claim the deity of Christ by quoting an Old Testament passage contradicts Paul's own testimony in Acts 26, to 23 where Paul said he was saying nothing but what the prophet said that the Messiah would die and rise from the dead. So, Saying that Paul found the deity of Christ in the Old Testament accuses Paul of being a liar. But Paul was no liar. Paul, over and over again, differentiates between God and Jesus. Take, for example, Romans 10.13, where Paul quotes a a Yahweh text, Joel 2.32, and applies it to the ministry and person of Jesus. It is clear in the context that Paul's not blurring the distinction between Hey and Jesus, or making Jesus Hey. Four verses earlier in Romans 10:9, Paul stated that God raised Jesus from the dead. To Paul, in the book of Romans, God is, quote, "the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." Unquote, Romans fifteen six. Also, the context of Romans ten is God's relations with Israel. If Paul wanted to say that Israel is in the wrong relationship with God because Israel failed to realize that the Messiah was literally Yud vav Avhe incarnate, why didn't he say so? Why these riddles? Why not at least a chapter? in the book of Romans, to explain this revolutionary understanding of who God is. Another point. Neither Paul, nor any other New Testament author, makes the claim, I am applying this Old Testament passage to show that Jesus is Yahweh. No, the Old Testament quotes are always being presented in a different context and for a different reason. In contrast, compare Peter and Paul's application to Jesus of Old Testament passages like Psalm 16. Peter and Paul gave the reason why they were quoting the Old Testament passage. They explain that the Old Testament passage predicts the Messiah would be raised from the dead. Another point. Claiming that this handful of verses appeal to the Old Testament to show the deity of Christ creates a contradiction with Jesus in the Gospels and the Apostles in the book of Acts, who never made such an appeal to the Old Testament. Luke chapter 24 and the book of Acts are clear, explicit teaching that what the Old Testament prophesied about Messiah is that Messiah would suffer, die, be raised from the dead, And exalted to God's right hand, nothing about the deity. Another point, the efforts of modern scholars by more circuitous, or dare I say, clever, ways, like the Yahweh texts, to suggest that the apostles quoted the Old Testament as a way to declare the deity of Christ, is evidence that the New Testament authors do not appeal to the Old Testament. For evidence of the deity of Christ. If the New Testament authors did make an appeal to the Old Testament to show the deity of Christ, we could simply open the Bible to explicit statements declaring, the Old Testament declared that Messiah is God in human nature, indeed, one member of a tri-personal Godhead incarnate. And one other observation, further evidence that neither Jesus nor any other apostle appealed to the Old Testament in an effort to find the deity of Christ, are books like the one called The Messiah in the Old Testament by Walter Kaiser. Dr. Kaiser is a scholar. He was formerly president of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, still serves there as Coleman M. Muckler, Distinguished Professor of Old Testament. In this book, Dr. Kaiser examines the Old Testament scriptures concerning the messianic expectation, starting with Genesis and going through to the last prophet of the Old Testament canon Malachi. In the book are chapters and sections titled, quoting, Messiah in the Pentateuch, Messiah in the Psalms, the rejection of Messiah, the betrayal of Messiah, the death and resurrection of Messiah, the triumph of Messiah, Messiah as teacher, Messiah as the second David, Messiah as King, Messiah as Servant, Messiah as Anointed Conqueror. But wait, in a book by an eminent evangelical Christian scholar called The Messiah in the Old Testament, there's not a chapter about, quote, the deity of Messiah? This is not to say that Dr. Kaiser doesn't throw an occasional bone to the deity of Christ claim. When he looks at several Old Testament passages. He does, but it is always in a secondary fashion, with verses that can and are easily understood in a different way, and pertinent for this study, with verses that no New Testament author appeals to in an effort to proclaim the deity of Christ. So now, our next topic, let's look at two examples where finding the deity of Christ in the Old Testament is an activity of later centuries. Now that we have seen that neither Jesus nor the apostles appealed to the Old Testament scriptures to find the deity of Christ, I would like to give two examples which demonstrate that finding the deity of Christ in the Old Testament is an activity of later centuries. It is important to know our sources. Who are the first ones to expound an Old Testament passage to show the deity of Christ? The first example, Justin Martyr on Genesis 18 and 19, Abraham's three visitors and the angel of Yahweh, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus? I looked at this same issue in a recent podcast with Troy Salinger, Podcast 59. But here we want to emphasize that Justin Martyr, he lived in the middle of the 100s A.D., from about 100 to 160 A.D., the second century. He is the first person on record to claim that appearances of God and the angel of Yodhevave, the angel of the Lord, in the Old Testament, these appearances were pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus. That is, before Jesus became a man, he was appearing in the Old Testament. For instance, for Justin, Jesus was one of the three visitors, the angel or messenger of Yahweh, who visited Abraham at Mamre. Let me quote from Justin Martyr's book called A Dialogue with Trifo the Jew. He's speaking to Trifo. And he says, Moses, then, the blessed and faithful servant of God, declares that he who appeared to Abraham under the oak of Mamre is God, sent with the two angels in his company to judge Sodom for another who remains ever in the super-celestial places, invisible to all men, holding personal intercourse with none, whom we believe to be maker and father of all things. Justin continues, I shall attempt to persuade you, since you have understood the scriptures of the truth of what I say, that there is, and that there is said to be, another God and Lord, subject to the Maker of all things, who is also called an angel, because he announces to men whatsoever the Maker of all things, above whom there is no other God, wishes to announce to them. Unquote. So a couple of observations on Justin Martyr's belief. First, while no one in the Bible, neither Old or New Testaments, identifies the angel of the Lord as a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, Justin does. The claim comes only from the mid-2nd century AD, over 100 years after Jesus lived on earth. Second, Justin's Christology and the identification of the angel of Yahweh is very different from current Trinitarian beliefs. To Justin, the pre incarnate Jesus was another God who appeared as the angel messenger of the Lord. This another God was not a co equal member of a tri personal God. Rather, Jesus, the son of Justin's pre-incarnate appearances, was another being who could be called God and Lord, but was a lesser God, subject to and servant of the Supreme God who was the Father, the Maker of all things. This second, other God had an origin, born out from the Supreme God who was the Maker of all things. Respected evangelical commentator F.F. F. Bruce confirms that while no one in the New Testament claims that Jesus made pre-incarnate appearances to the patriarchs, this claim was confidently made by Justin. Quoting from F.F. F. Bruce, the Christian interpretation of the Old Testament in the New Testament is restrained and disciplined by contrast with what we find in the post-apostolic period. There's no reference to wrestling Jacob in the New Testament, but Justin Martyr, 150 AD, in his Dialogue with Trifo, asserts confidently that the mysterious wrestler, whom the narrator describes as a man, and whom of Jacob speaks as of God, must be the one whom Christians acknowledge as God and man. The Christological exposition of such incidents is hardly attested, if at all, in the New Testament. Unquote. Now, we agree with F.F. F. Bruce that, one, there is a vast difference between the New Testament and post-apostolic period interpretations of the Old Testament. Such interpretations are, to quote Bruce, hardly attested, if at all, in the New Testament. And he's cheating there. Because they are not attested at all in the New Testament. Second, Justin Martyr is the first person on record who claims that Jesus made pre incarnate appearances in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord, as the angel of Yudhe Vavhe. Another Trinitarian scholar, Dr. David Capes, who is the co author of the book called The Divine Christ Paul, the Lord Jesus and the scriptures of Israel, says similarly in an interview when he was asked if Paul thought that Jesus made pre-incarnate appearances as the angel of the Lord. Dr. Capes responded, quote, no, I don't think there is anything in Paul that would suggest that Jesus is somehow present mysteriously or as the angel of the Lord back in those particular places. What is the relationship of the angel of the Lord to God and to Jesus? I don't think Paul ever really gets into that. So, declaring that Jesus made pre incarnate appearances to Abraham at Mamre is not a New Testament exercise, but is an activity beginning in the second century AD, 100 years after Jesus was on earth. Tragically, the pre-incarnate appearance claim directly contradicts the book of Hebrews, which says that God has spoken to us through a son only in these last days, and that the next time Christ comes will be the second time he has been on earth. Not his third or fourth, seventh or tenth. Such statements like these in the book of Hebrews eliminate the possibility that Jesus, the Son of God, was alive and appeared to Abraham at Mamre. Now Isaiah 9.6, another example of a verse that Trinitarians think shows the deity of Christ. Let me read Isaiah 9.6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Unlike Trinitarian apologists, for whom this verse is a favorite, no one in the New Testament appealed to this verse in an effort to prove the deity of Christ. Instead, it was Greek and Latin church fathers in later centuries who declared that Isaiah 9-6 had something to do with some kind of divinity of Jesus. If we search in the writings of the Church Fathers in the centuries after Jesus, one of the first things we discover is that if they do make mention of Isaiah 9-6, the text is quite different from the translations we have in our English Old Testaments. This is because the early Church Fathers worked in the main from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, called the Septuagint. And the text of Isaiah 9-6 is quite different in the Septuagint translation. Let me read an English translation of the Septuagint Greek version of Isaiah 9-6. Quote, For a child is born to us, and a son is given to us, whose government is upon his shoulder. And his name is called the messenger of great counsel. For I will bring peace upon the princes and health to him. In the Greek Septuagint of Isaiah 9.6, the child being born is not called Almighty God or Everlasting Father or even Prince of Peace. Instead, the child is called the messenger or angel of great counsel. Therefore, the early church fathers appealed to the verse to show that Jesus was the great messenger angel of God because the Son revealed to mankind the plans or counsel of God. To the early church philosopher fathers, Jesus was the angel messenger of great counsel, the announcer of God's will. Jesus was by no means co-equal with God. He could be called God, but God with a small g. His existence was derived from and subordinate to the one true God, the Father, the Maker of all things, who sent Jesus. So back to our point. We see that finding the deity of Christ in the Old Testament, even if it is a subordinate kind of divinity, is not a New Testament exercise. The Greek and Latin church fathers were the first ones to appeal to Isaiah 9, 6, to claim some kind of divinity for Jesus. I don't want to go into great detail here as to what Isaiah 9-6 does mean, but I will make a few comments. First, mighty God and everlasting Father of the Hebrew version of Isaiah 9-6 are called theophoric names, which means God-carrying or God-bearing names given to human beings. With God-carrying or God-bearing names, the name is given to a human being to declare a truth about who God is or what God's relationship is to us. The names are not a declaration of the essence of the human person who has the name. Take, for instance, the name Jehu, the king of Israel that Elisha anointed and who wiped out the worship of Baal from the northern kingdom. Jehu's name means he is Yahweh. He is Yahweh. No, Jehu was not Yahweh incarnate. But his name declared that Yahweh was God and that Yahweh was acting through the man Jehu to wipe out Baalism from Israel. The name Mighty God can be understood, and probably is better understood and translated with the present tense form of be, is, meaning God is mighty. God is mighty, El Gibor, does not mean that the person bearing the name is a mighty God, but that God is mighty. The God of Israel showed himself to be mighty in the days of the prophet Isaiah and in the days of the Davidic king Hezekiah. In one night, the God of Israel decimated the mighty Assyrian empire's army. That empire of Assyria was attacking Judah. But one morning, the Judeans woke up and the mighty Assyrian army, quote, were all dead bodies, unquote. Isaiah 37-36 Indeed, Hezekiah's God is a mighty God. This is why the child to be born was also called Everlasting Father, Aviad. The name Aviad, Everlasting Father, shows the Trinitarian appeal to this verse is wrong. If you want to say that Jesus is a mighty God, like literally, from Isaiah 9-6, then Jesus is literally the Everlasting Father. That is a no-no in Trinitarianism. But the truth is that the name Everlasting Father is given to a human being as a reminder that our God, the one true God, is Father to us. He cares for us and has our well-being in mind forever. By the way, I personally know a couple people named Everlasting Father. Aviad in Hebrew. None of them think they are God Almighty. But their name declares a truth about God. By the way, I think I probably know about five Immanuel's. None of them think they are God incarnate. Lastly, on these names in Isaiah 9-6, the names had application to a person born in the days of Isaiah the prophet. Otherwise, Isaiah the prophet was a liar. We must interpret the scriptures in their historical grammatical context. Most likely, these theophoric names, these God-bearing names, have reference to King Hezekiah of the house of David. In Hezekiah's days, Yahweh proved himself to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God. And an everlasting Father. To sum up, Isaiah 9 6 was not used as a deity of Christ proof text by the biblical authors. The appeal to Isaiah 9 6 began in the centuries after the New Testament era. So, these two famous Trinitarian deity of Christ proof texts Genesis 18 and 19, the angel of the Lord, and Isaiah 9 6 are put forth here as examples to illustrate that all efforts to find evidences for the deity of Christ in the Old Testament began only in centuries after the New Testament era. No New Testament author appealed to Genesis 1.26, Genesis 18 and 19, Psalm 110 verse 1, Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 9.6, Isaiah 42.8, Jeremiah 23 6, Micah 5.2, Zechariah 12.10, or to any other Old Testament text in an effort to prove the deity of Christ. I'd like to just make some summary comments from the last three episodes. First, neither Jesus nor any apostle in the book of Acts appealed to the Old Testament in an effort to find evidence for the deity of Jesus Christ. Rather, Jesus and the Apostles appealed to the Old Testament to show evidence for the suffering, death, and subsequent resurrection and exaltation of the Messiah. Second, on two occasions, Jesus, on the day of his resurrection, as recorded in Luke 24, explained to his disciples from the Torah, the Prophets, and the Psalms how it was written that the Christ would suffer, be put to death, and be raised from the dead before entering his glory. All of these Old Testament prophetical descriptions given from God to his prophets are valid for an entirely human Christ, not for a God Christ or a God-man Christ. Jesus said nothing about how the Old Testament scriptures proclaimed or hinted at his deity. Next, the teaching of Jesus from the Old Testament scriptures that resurrection day was very thorough. Jesus told the apostles all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, Luke 24:44). If Jesus is God and the Old Testament scriptures testified so, it is incredible that Jesus left out this seminal feature which eventually became the cornerstone belief of traditional Christianity. Next, we surveyed the declarations of Peter and Paul in the book of Acts, chapters 2, 3, 13, 17, and 26, and saw how these foundational apostles appealed to the Old Testament scriptures in testifying about who the Christ is. The apostles in the book of Acts never appealed to the Old Testament scriptures to show the deity of Christ. Instead, the repeated evidence in the book of Acts is that the apostles, quote, reasoned from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, unquote. Acts 17, 2-3. People were being saved in the book of Acts by the thousands without ever hearing that Jesus was God or that God was a trinity. To put it another way, the apostles appealed to the Old Testament to declare the death, not the deity, of Messiah. Again, such scriptures are suitable only for a human Christ, not for a God-Christ or a God-man Christ. Fifth, other New Testament writings do not conflict with Jesus in Luke 24 and the apostles in the book of Acts. There's no appeal by any New Testament author to an Old Testament text with the aim of proving the deity of Christ. Sixth, we should not make the apostle Paul into a liar by claiming that he quoted Old Testament scripture in order to prove that Jesus is Yahweh. Paul testified that he preached, quote, nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. Acts twenty six twenty two to 23. To claim that Paul quoted Old Testament scriptures to prove the deity of Christ makes Paul a liar. Seventh, we looked at two typical Old Testament texts that Christians appeal to in an effort to find the deity of Christ. Genesis 18 and 19, the angel of the Lord, and Isaiah 9, 6. Claiming such texts are evidence for the deity of Christ began hundreds of years after the New Testament era. In the case of Genesis eighteen nineteen, Justin Martyr in the second century The case of Isaiah 9-6 is even more complicated, since the Septuagint Greek version of Isaiah 9-6 that the Church Fathers quoted is quite different, replacing the title Wonderful Counselor Mighty God with Angel of Great Counsel. The Church Fathers of the 2nd and 3rd centuries believed Jesus to be a lesser god with a small g, subordinate to and derived from the Father, who is the Maker of all. Eighth, in the New Testament, the controversy about Jesus was not about his deity, but about a Messiah who died and was raised to glory. Quote, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. Unquote. Controversy about Jesus' deity is from later centuries not from the first century. So I'll end again with the three challenges. Neither Jesus nor the authors of the New Testament appeal to the Old Testament in an effort to prove the deity of Christ. Are you? Neither Jesus nor any author of the New Testament appealed to the Old Testament in an effort to prove that God is triune. Are you? Do you know better than Jesus? and the New Testament authors? Like religious leaders in Jesus' day, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Matthew 15:6. 6. Yishma'u anavim the humble will hear and rejoice.